0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. We welcome you back to Know Your Bible and hope you're ready to study the Bible for the next 30 minutes. Uh, we're going to give you some answers to questions that our viewers have asked in the past few weeks. So uh, that's what we're going to do. And maybe you've got a question about the Bible. If you do, you'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime. time. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. You direct this program a little different kind of religious TV program. We do talk about the Bible and uh, what God's Word says, but we don't tell you what we think you ought to know. Uh, We let you tell us what you'd like to know. So maybe there's something you've always wondered about, something you were... uh, taught when you were little and you thought, that just doesn't make sense. Or maybe it's something you've seen in the news or or have it happening at home and you wonder, I wonder what God's Word says about that. Uh, We'll try to find you an answer. So that's what we do here. Uh, We like to answer as many as we can, as quickly as we can. So let me introduce my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and we're studied up and ready to go. But uh, we always Take the second question. The first one goes to our viewers. What was Joseph's trade? Joseph, the father of Jesus, what was his trade? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. All right. I drew the first one today, so let's see if we can handle this one. The viewers reading the Old Testament evidently and read Second Kings 19, and then when they got over to Isaiah 37, they said, "I think I've." read this before. Uh, This sounds familiar. Well, if you read those two chapters, they are almost identical. And some people have figured that out and say, how did that happen? What's going on? Well, uh, pretty simple, actually. Isaiah, uh, by the way, that that chapter is a story about King Hezekiah and Isaiah. And so Isaiah, when he wrote his book, uh, he told that story about Himself and King Hezekiah, and recorded how it happened. He was the original source; uh, it was an autobiography, if you will, at that point, And he told about how that story went down. Well, Second Kings, First and Second Kings, are history books. Uh, they're compiled, and they're the story of all the kings of Israel. And so, the person that wrote those books. Uh, that compiled that history obviously wasn't around for all of it so they had to do some research uh... they studied histories and read what books they could get and all that and the writer obviously read the book of isaiah Uh, it was available he read that as source material and so when he got to the story about king hezekiah and isaiah he obviously just pretty much copied it straight over uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, we do history books like that today. Uh, so that's what the writer of Second Kings did. He just said, well, Isaiah told the story this way, so I'll just put it in here, and that tells the story perfectly accurately, and on we go. So uh, no big mystery to it. One's the original source. One's a history book that used Isaiah's book as a resource for finding out the history. I believe that's the simple answer.
1: Okay. We have a question about the death penalty. In the case of the death penalty, since Jesus said not to cast the first stone, shouldn't we just forgive? Well, uh Let's deal with these two things one time. First, you you mentioned the story about not casting the first stone. That story is found in John chapter eight, verses one through eleven. Uh, we're going to look at just a, a snippet of that story on the screen. John chapter eight, verses four through six. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, keep that in mind. That was uh, the the law of Moses, the Old Testament. Uh, was definitely supportive of capital punishment and they were right they said now what do you say john says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him okay the the law commanded death for a, a lot of very specific sins it was very clear on that and so really this story is not about the death penalty. This is a, this is a, a gotcha kind of thing. Because what's happening is they're asking Jesus, should we uphold the death penalty? If he says yes, uphold the death penalty, stone this woman, what they are then going to do, they might stone her, I don't know, but <clears throat> what they're then going to do is go to the authorities in Rome. See, Rome was the only one that had the authority in that time, even over the Jews, to... Uh, Perform capital punishment. They didn't allow the peoples they rules ruled over to uh, uh, cap, do capital punishment, and so they would have gone to the rulers of Rome and said, "This teacher is—he's uh, causing division. He's causing an uprising. He's causing a mutiny because they, he is uh, rebelling against Rome." That's what they wanted him to say, so that they would have an accusation. The other. End of that, what if he said, "No, we should have compassion on this woman"? Then they could say, "Aha! See here, this rabbi—he doesn't teach the law. Here's what the law says." So they, it was really a gotcha kind of question. They were trying to get Jesus to choose one or the other, so that no matter which way he went, whether he said stone this woman or show mercy to this woman, I want uh, they would have a way to accuse him and hopefully uh, take away his his following, and people would label him a false teacher and so forth. So. We got to understand that. Now Jesus's answer is brilliant because he he sort of takes both sides. He he says, "Well, I tell you what, those of you who are without sin, cast the first stone." Now they all realize, Uh-oh. <laughs> "Uh oh, this is not I, we can't do this." The older ones realize that first, and then the then the younger ones, and finally it's just this woman and Jesus. And this woman, Jesus says to her, "You know." Has no one condemned you? And she says, she says, no one, sir. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's a beautiful story showing about the perfect justice and love. Jesus was the only one who was without sin. He could have thrown a stone, but he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Now, to your question about the death penalty, okay, this this case of this woman, this is not a case about the death penalty. This is a case about Jesus personally pardoning someone uh... when he had the authority to do so he was showing mercy and compassion because he was fulfilling the law he wrote the law he was god and so he had the ability to pardon um, and he did and it shows us the wonderful love of jesus but this there's a difference in this unique exceptional story of pardon and forgiveness and mercy and the issue of the death penalty when we look at the issue of the death penalty but the Old Testament and the New—it's clear God has given those in authority uh, the means of using the death penalty as one form of punishment, as a way to protect the innocent and bring justice and bring justice on the wrongdoer. Now, it shouldn't be used. Haphazardly. It shouldn't be used. Uh, you know, it's not to be done without Bob, But certainly governments have the ability and the authority to do that. Government is a servant of God, and their job is to, to keep order, to protect the innocent, and to punish evil. And sometimes there's so much evil that the, the right thing to do is to execute that person who's guilty of such heinous crimes. How do we know that? Let's look at Romans chapter 13, verse 4. This is later in the New Testament. It says, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. So this is kind of an apple and oranges question. You move from one story and then move to the death penalty. Scripture clearly upholds the right of governments to uphold the death penalty. Um, that wasn't the question that Jesus was dealing with. So I hope that clarifies and um, helps us understand that issue a little bit better from the Bible's perspective.
0: All right, let's talk about appointing elders here. A viewer says the Bible says Paul appointed elders. Does that mean the preacher alone selects them? Now, let me preface this by saying we're talking about New Testament church organization, and the only hierarchy that we find in the New Testament is elders or shepherds or overseers, they're called, uh, over a local congregation. Uh, That's the only uh, organization we find for the the church. Uh, We say in our introduction and closing that churches of Christ are autonomous. That means each congregation rules itself. Uh, elders, men selected by that congregation a rule over that congregation so that's the picture we're talking about and this viewer says well how do we get those elders selected and appointed uh, the Bible says Paul appointed them uh, well Paul didn't probably did appoint some elders, but uh, probably what you're talking about is the verse in Titus where Paul told Titus, who was a preacher, uh, to select elders. Let's read that one. It's Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, and Paul says to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Okay. Okay. So they had traveled through Crete, they had preached the gospel, they had established, uh, they had baptized people into Christ, they had a lot of Christians, and they had a lot of new churches in towns throughout Crete. And Paul said, I left Titus there uh, to finish up getting these churches organized and going and appoint elders. Okay, so uh, our viewers noted that, and that's one way that... We can get elders. Now, other than that, the Bible just doesn't say. It doesn't give us any ways. It doesn't give us any process. It doesn't give us any forms to fill out. It doesn't tell you how to form a committee. It doesn't give us any rules. And I think, well, I know the reason for that is that every situation is very different. Uh, Every uh, church that's looking for elders or ready for elders is a different situation. Now, for instance, the one we just read about was a mission church planted by traveling evangelists, Paul and Titus and others, and once they learned a little bit about Christ and matured a little bit, then they were ready uh, to be leaders, perhaps, a few men in the congregation. Uh, The best person to appoint them or to help select them was the evangelist that had taught them. So that's what happened there. That happens today in many mission churches. Uh, The missionary goes, starts a church, converts people to Christ. Uh, He's the most mature Christian there, and he understands, okay, uh, it's about time for this group to have elders, and I think Charlie and Joe uh, would be good elders. And so he works with the congregation and appoints them, if you will. That's entirely different than a very mature congregation that's been around for decades, uh, is a large group maybe, has a strong eldership, and the eldership and the the congregation together say, it's time that we added some new elders. Uh, We need some more men working to shepherd this congregation. Well, the process they use is going to be completely different than a missionary plant kind of church. Uh, And in between those two examples, uh, you can think of a hundred different uh, hypothetical situations that you might ought to do it a little bit differently. So God's left us the freedom to do that. He told us what elders ought to look like, what kind of characteristics they ought to have, and what they ought to do for the congregation, and left it up to us to figure out how to make that happen. So, uh, preachers can appoint them if the situation calls for it. Uh, there's all sorts of other ways to get the job done. So, uh, I think that answers our question. The preacher alone can select them, but probably in pretty rare circumstances. Other than that, the congregation needs to come up with a process and get it done. All right, let me take just a moment to tell you about a good way to study the Bible. We like answering questions each week, but uh, there's a lot more in the Bible than we'll ever get to. So uh, we advocate that you sit down at home pretty regularly and study the Bible a little bit. And that's hard to do sometimes. But we've got some tools that we think help, and we make them available to you absolutely free of charge. Uh, Here's a course that we'll send you. If you want to start with it, it comes in the mail, and there's eight very simple lessons, a good overview of the Bible. Uh, When you get through that one and graduate, we've got more advanced courses that take you all through the book of Acts and the life of Christ and all kinds of different uh, studies. You'll learn a lot about the Bible with these courses and we also know that some folks like online studies so we've got some of those available before you now log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and you'll find out uh, how to register for this and get started and do it on your phone or laptop and just study away without waiting for the mail or go as fast as you want with this one so online studies are available too phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen use those anytime to tell us i want this course and let me get started studying the bible we'll get you started on it
1: all right our next question is a question about religions my adult son feels all religions are man-made and one is just as good as another can you help me show him the bible is true and our god is the one and only true god well uh, that's a big task for us Three or four minute answer here. Um, I would say that generally speaking, in a, especially in our world, in a, in a free market, we've got lots of choices, lots of options and everything from, uh, the stores we go to, the, the bread that we choose, the toothpaste brand that we use, our laundry soap, restaurants, cars that we drive, coffee, everything. There's so much choice that sometimes we feel that way about religion. I mean, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, choose a church of your choice. Or or people just generally think, hey, they're all just religions are kind of all the same. All the paths lead to the same place. What is the big deal? And, um, you know, a person might ask the question, well, why would anyone... What's any better about choosing to follow Jesus as opposed to, say, Muhammad or Confucius or Buddha or Joseph Smith? I mean, if if this choice is as good as that choice, why, why not just choose the one that makes you happy? So a couple of thoughts on that. The first is, I think Christianity has the, the clear distinction in this. All religions, and and your son's right, there are many that are man-made. I mean, there are many that started with a a guy that just set out and started a religion, got some followers, was very uh, um, adamant about it, and, and converted a lot of people, and they converted a lot of people. Most religions differ from Christianity in this. I would say all other religions are about, it's about what you do for God. You have to do enough good works. You have to have enough good deeds. You have to do enough good things. You have to climb the ladder. You have to get to uh, total consciousness. You have to work your way up the ladder to impress God, to show Him what you've done for Him. In Christianity, it's the flip of that, uh, that. The entire story of the Bible is how insufficient we are and how much God has done for us to redeem us, to save us. I mean, that's the story from Genesis to Revelation, is the story of how much God has done for us. So I, I think Christianity is unique in that amongst all the religions. I don't think there's any other religion, to my knowledge, that focuses not on what you can do for God, but just focuses on how much God has done for you, not sparing his own son, even, that he might redeem you. Now, when you focus on Jesus, uh, I think there is one key factor with Jesus... That makes him different than all other religious leaders, and that is this. Um, He's alive. Muhammad is dead. Confucius is dead. Buddha is dead. Joseph Smith is dead, and they remain in their graves to this very day. Jesus, he left that tomb empty. He is no longer dead. He is alive and he rose from that grave, and it was witnessed by over 500 people. The tomb was guarded and sealed. In every way, they tried to make sure he stayed dead and that no one stole the body. And yet, no one can explain what happened to the body of Jesus. Uh, nobody expected nobody, as one person once said. So the resurrection factor, to me, is the big difference uh, in, in choosing to follow Jesus. To me, that's what gives him the authority. If the resurrection happened, then everything that Jesus said matters. If the resurrection didn't happen, then yes, put Jesus right on the level with all the other religious teachers and leaders. Uh, Let's look at John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's that's either true or it isn't. I mean, Jesus didn't give us much wiggle room there, okay? If you falsely believe that Jesus was just a good teacher and a good man, you are, you are misunderstanding Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus said. And if he, either he was right or he was a liar or crazy. As C.S. Lewis said once famously, Jesus Christ was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. So we really have to, it all comes down to that. If he was raised, uh, that makes all the difference in the world. So I hope those two things uh, help you understand, might help your son understand a little bit more. And I would <clears throat> encourage him to read this about the life of Jesus and what he did and what he did for him, for me, for you, for all of us. Hope that helps.
0: All right. Viewers wondering about the Old Testament battles and says there are lots of battles where thousands are killed. Uh, what did they do with all the bodies? Well, <laughs> interesting question, but the Bible doesn't say anything about it. it just uh, tells us the battle happened. Now, from history, we know that oftentimes uh, armies buried their own. They had mass graves and things like that. Uh, sometimes they burned the, the bodies to, uh, for sanitary reasons and uh, uh, dispose of them. And I'm sure that in many cases the bodies were just left uh, that you know if a battle was defeat a uh, army was defeated and uh, the victors went on other things I'm sure the bodies just laid there so Bible doesn't tell us we don't know history uh, most often they were burned or buried so we'll assume that happened most of the times in the Old Testament take a second and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you are sponsored by the Churches of Christ and <coughs> excuse me I'd like to mention a few each week today let me mention a few in the east side of Wichita uh, the East Point congregation and then on out to Augusta uh, great folks at both of those churches of Christ and uh, longtime supporters of Know Your Bible, and we like to thank them and uh, have you had your thanks to it. So if you live in Augusta or on the east side of Wichita, Kansas, uh, drop in at one of these uh, fine groups. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, you would be warmly welcome. Uh, you'd find folks that think and study the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. So uh, drop in and visit them. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, attendance.
1: Yep, it's attendance and maybe a little bit of a, a money question. Is if someone is sick or elderly and cannot attend worship service, are they required to tithe? Well, uh, the tithe. If you don't are familiar with that term, the tithe. The word tithe means simply ten percent. To give ten percent of your income. And this person's knowing, well, I can't. I'm sick. I'm elderly, or maybe they know someone who is. Are they still required to tithe? My answer to that is no. A tithe is not a requirement under the new new covenant. Um, now, of course, in the old covenant, it was sort of the starting point, and so we can say under the new covenant. I mean, if people want to know, that's a a reasonable place to start. But no, it's not a have to thing. Money is connected to our hearts. Um, and when your heart's in something, you're naturally inclined to want to support it. Um, and if you wanted to tithe, that would be fine. If you find a local church that is preaching and teaching the Bible or a good ministry that you're in support of, that's fine to do. Uh, I, I think the point here is it's not a legalistic measure. Uh, giving really shows the reflections of our priorities and our value. When Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also we understand that. We, we put money in things that are valuable to us, that are important to us. So if it's important to you or this person that you're asking about, fine to do. Um, I think disciples and followers of Jesus are generally known to be generous people. They were in the first century, and uh, they should be today as well. So if you decide to do it, that's fine, not a requirement. Uh, do it out of your heart, um, and uh, you can figure out the best way to do it, online or Mail a check or however you choose to do it. Uh, just um, do something that you think uh, would, God would want you to support. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I hope that helps you and uh, the person that you're asking about.
0: All right. Viewers looking at their Bible and figured out that it's got 66 books in it and picked up an American Bible and saw it had 72. Now, what's the difference? Well, the New American version, I assume what you're talking about, is the current recommended uh, Bible for Catholics. It's the Catholic Bible and most others that you've have or or see, or sometimes called Protestant Bibles, Uh, and that's the main difference. One has 66 books, one has 72. Uh, The other six books are apocryphal books, Uh, apocryphal means hidden, Uh, they're books that were written between the Testaments, There's about 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, and there were some books written in that period. Uh, that were never accepted as inspired by the Hebrews or by the new Christians. But a few years later, hundreds of years later, uh, the Catholic Church decided, well, these six books, uh, they're inspired enough for us. We're going to put them in the, the Scripture, so they're in there their are Bibles. Uh, they're not accepted as inspired by most, uh, well, all Protestants and by the, the Jews never accepted them as inspired. They're interesting history books, so they've got some interesting things in it, they've also got some pretty glaring uh, errors in them. So that's the difference, apocryphal books are accepted or not. John 3.16, you got time to explain that? Absolutely.
1: It's a well-known verse. You might see it on signs at football games. What does John 3.16 mean? Well, John 3.16 is pretty clear. In fact, let's just read it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And it just tells us very simply that God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. Just like on that earlier question, all other religions are about what we do to get God's favor. Uh, This tells us very simply, God loves us enough and values us enough to do everything for us, even sending his own son to die for us to pay the price for our sin. In fact, if you read the next verse, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's God's desire is for you to find salvation in Christ and Christ is the only way to find that according to the Bible. So you believe, you trust enough in Jesus to do what he said to do and you can find salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. So stick to his instructions and uh, you can find the salvation that God desires for you. So I hope that helps you and helps explain a well-known verse.
0: Okay. Yeah, you mentioned football games. and I thought I'd never thought of that before. But I bet there's a lot of people that have seen that sign yep. and said, "I wonder what that means," and never took time to look it up. All right. So, right. <laughs> the, the, yep. The verse itself is famous, but uh, a lot of people don't know what it says. So. Yep thanks for explaining that we're glad you've been with us today and we want to answer our trivia question before we leave what was Joseph's trade Joseph the uh, stepfather of Jesus he was a carpenter the Bible says I don't know much more about it than that We're glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week for more of your questions till then you have a great week know your Bible has been presented by the churches of Christ in your area.